In Chicago, there's a place called the Observation Deck located in the Willis Tower, formerly called the Sears Tower. 103 stories high, it's a plexiglass cube jutting out of the side of the building. They claim it offers breathtaking views of four states as well as Lake Michigan. And it's true, when you step into this glass cube, there are beautiful things to behold. However, it also offers one terrifying view. Look down and you'll see 103 floors right to the ground, and it's nauseating. What I found to be the most interesting part of the experience, however, was the difference between how the adults versus how the children behaved in the observation deck. The kids would run right in, bounce up and down, and thought it was the coolest thing in the world. The adults, however, tiptoed out slowly, looked down with great terror, and cringed with fear every time a child jumped up and down, almost with a profound dread that the cube would snap right off the side of the building as the children thunderously landed on the floor of this protruding cube. The kids had faith in the architects. The adults, it seemed, did not trust that the architects would keep them safe. Our first lesson this morning drops us into chapter 12 of Genesis. The first 11 chapters contain some of the most iconic stories of the Bible. The fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel, Stories which do their best to give insight into how we went from paradise to a world rife with war, greed, violence, and senseless struggles for power. These stories depict God as punishing the people for their deeds because that's the easy way to tell these stories. The alternative hits all too close for home, that the havoc of this world is simply the natural consequence of our poor decisions, individually, nationally, and globally. The call of Abram challenges this notion of a God of punishment, because in it we hear a declaration of both God's covenant and our common vocation. God's covenant, I will bless you. Our common vocation, be a blessing. In that one pithy sentence, we hear God's plan to restore both the world and our souls, to reinfuse this world with a powerful spirit of self-sacrificial love. Abram's first sacrifice is to leave it all, his country, his kindred, his father's house, any sort of familiarity, and all senses of safety and comfort, and begins his journey to parts unknown. Far from having a plan or even a destination, Abram takes two more important things with him faith, and a promise of God's blessing 
a promise to be given everything he needs to do the work God wants him to do. Soon, Abram and Sarai will be renamed Abraham and Sarah, and despite their old age, will bear children, and God's promise will be fulfilled. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven, and all the nations of the earth shall gain blessing for themselves through your offspring. Fourteen generations later, King David will arise from the line of Abraham to be Israel's revered king. And from that very line, generations later, will arrive the king of kings, Jesus. It is in the person of Christ where we see the culmination of this covenant to be blessed and to be a blessing by living a life of self-sacrificial love. We see it in the ways he searches out for the lost, infusing their lives with blessing. We feel it in the way he brings peace to those who are suffering. And we hear it as he declares his blessing on the poor, the meek, the merciful, those who hunger, those who mourn, and those who are persecuted. He does this by confronting the pain in their lives and breathing into them a spirit of hope, a sense of stillness, a promise of blessing in the age to come. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In a few weeks, we'll be confronted once again with that dreadful story of Christ on the tree. If there is ever a time for a God of punishment to make an appearance, surely that would be an appropriate time. But that God, the God of retribution and wrath, once again is nowhere to be found. Perhaps that God simply doesn't exist. Instead, what we see is a magnification of that covenant and that vocation once again. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. Christ desires not his own death, praying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Confront Confronted with the crucifixion, Christ unwaveringly rests assured that somehow, in some way, there is a blessing in this all. So up he goes, stretching out his arms upon the cross, not scolding, but forgiving with those tender words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In the pain of it all, in the humiliation of it all, Christ hears a simple plea from a person off to the side. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Once again, Christ chooses blessing. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Ours is not a story 
of wrath and of scorn. It is a story rooted in an ancient covenant and an ancient call. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And it all goes back to the father of our faith, Abraham. Perhaps that's why we sang that Abrahamic doxology of covenant and call. We bow and bless the sacred name forever blessed so that through faith we might be a blessing all with the assurance and the source of our strength that God is blessing us.